Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Our scripture this morning is the story of the ascension. Hear these words from Matthew 8, 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today we continue our Easter series of looking at particular places and moments where disciples and believers have come into contact with the resurrected Savior. We've looked at the walk to Emmaus, the road to Damascus. We've paid attention to those um, awakenings that people have had when they encounter uh, the, um, Jesus after Easter. You have um, moments when uh, Jesus appears to individuals like Saul on the road to Damascus. You have moments when Jesus appears to the disciples when he makes breakfast there on the shore as the disciples come back from fishing. There's even stories uh, in the gospel about Jesus appearing to as many as 500 people at once. So what does that affect? What is the difference made if you find yourself encountering the resurrected Christ? We really do believe that um, that kind of an experience creates an awakening. It, it creates a, a visual and perspective shift in how you see the world. That the world may completely remain the same, but having experienced uh, Jesus post-Easter, you are awakened. To something new. And so today we look at kind of that last story in the Easter um, series. We look at the story of the ascension. Now today's scripture passage from Matthew uh, chapter 28, and a wonderful scripture passage. It is where the United Methodist Church gets its um, mission statement to go and make disciples um, uh, uh, for the transformation of, world, of the world uh, for the glory of God. But now, Luke 24 actually covers the play-by-play -play of the Ascension. Um, now, some might think that the Ascension is an ending, right? I mean, it's an ending. He's uh, headed up to heaven. You know, uh, if you're of the generation where Looney Tunes made sense, um, I'm not going to do the uh, Daffy Duck or Porky Pig um, uh, impersonation. But you get the idea, right? It's an ending. It's a clear demarcation of something is done. But could it also possibly be a beginning? Could it possibly be a beginning? You, you get that language uh, in the Luke text. Um, wait here in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Clearly Jesus thinks there is more work to be done. The question could be is, when is an ending a beginning? Have you ever thought about this? When is an ending a beginning? I, I personally believe that most everything I do as a pastor tends to be ushering people through an ending to see the beginning. I, I am uh, shameless in this, um, that um, every, most, let's see, 99% of every wedding I've done has the same wedding sermon. Now, um, I tell the bride, right? I tell the bride, they know this is not a bad thing, right? 
But I often say in that sermon, I tell the couple, take a moment, look around. You're at an ending. All the preparation, all the work, all the anxiety, all the decorating is done. But notice in the same moment, you're at a beginning. You're starting something new. God's going to knit the two of you together. You have your whole life together to glorify God and to love each other. An ending and a beginning all together. I think you would agree that if you uh, have been through the uh, empty nest experience, right? Dropping the kid off at college is an ending, right? Maybe that's not the thing to say on Mother's Day uh, for <laughs> tears, right? But it's also a beginning, it's a beginning for um, the parents. It's a beginning for the new college student. It might be a beginning for the college student's bedroom at the parent's house. <laughs> when is an ending a beginning? I haven't gone through this uh, transition, but I think some of you have. That movement into retirement, it's an ending, right? but it's also a beginning. The ascension, my argument is, is is both an ending and a beginning. That there together we have the opportunity to take on the mission and vision that Jesus has given to the disciples and to go into all the world and make disciples. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about the ascension itself. Um, Luke 24 gets real kind of action oriented. In that scripture passage, um, uh, Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law from the prophets, uh, from Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That he opened their minds. If you do a little search on opened, right? Opened their minds, opened the door, right? These are all the phrases that Jesus's ministry is about. He is opening their minds. If you remember back to the uh, walk to Emmaus, right? What happens after they've traveled the day, headed to Emmaus? Um, They're walking with a stranger and the stranger explains all of these these things to them about how the scriptures line up and describe Jesus as the savior. But it was only in the breaking of the bread that their minds were opened, right? So in this moment of the ascension, uh, it's got to be more than just an ending. It has to become a beginning. He also says in that same passage, you are witnesses of these things. Look, I'm sending to you what my father promised, but you are to stay in the city until you have been furnished with heavenly power. Of course, he's talking about a Pentecost, which will come shortly. You are witnesses of these things. This is another important part of the ascension. It's not like they um, uh, sold tickets and uh, put up, uh, you know, risers and people came on out to the mountain to see, uh, you know, the last tour as Jesus headed up uh, into the pearly gates. Jesus says, you are witnesses. Notice, not spectators. Not spectators, witnesses. Um, Now, you could say, well, are we participants? And I'd say, yes. Um, If you think about what are the places and spaces where you have been called as a witness? It's usually because you've been part of the event, right? No one wants to be part of a car accident, but if you're a witness to the car accident, the officer wants to take down your experience for a reason. If you're 10 miles away from the accident, you don't have any experience to share. If you're a witness, 
Not only have you been a part of the experience, but it's important that you tell your story. The ascension is an ending and a beginning. Part of why it's a beginning is because when we encounter the resurrected Christ, we are to be witnesses, to tell others about it. And then lastly, um, the end of that passage, he led them out as far as Bethany, where he lifted his hands and blessed them. As he blessed them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem overwhelmed with joy. And they were continuously in the temple praising God. I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm not so sure I'd be all excited that Jesus left, right? I mean, I, I, I would be a, a, um, a little bit possessive. I, I mean, they just got Jesus back from the dead at Easter. And 50 days later, not, not more than six or seven weeks, He's headed up to the pearly gates. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can we get a little more face time with you? Can we, can we learn just a little bit more about how to heal and how to preach and how to spend that important energy in doing ministry? But you see, the disciples got it. They knew that an ending could become a new beginning. I, I have to say that I, I have a lot of connection with my namesake, Peter the disciple, right? And I wonder, right, you remember Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration um, where um, Moses and Elijah shows up and they hang out with Jesus on the mountain and um, they are transfigured in that moment. It's a, a moment when heaven and earth uh, touch. And, and you remember what Peter's response was? Let's build a house right here. There is no reason for us to go anywhere else. This is it. I've had the experience. Let's invite everybody to have it as well. I got to believe that that Peter, that transfiguration build a house Peter, I know it's comical to think about, but I can see him holding on to Jesus's robe as he's headed up to heaven. What is it like? What is it like to have an ending become a beginning? Have you ever struggled to let a good thing end so that a better thing might happen? Have you ever had that, that good thing? I mean, let's be honest, we're not always struggling about trying to let go of bad things. Sometimes it's a good thing that's keeping us from then doing a better thing. What do you hold on to? What's got you stuck where you are? I can be honest, in 19 years of ministry, I've noticed that people get stuck on some similar things. I've had folk be stuck, um, discipleship-wise, um, on beliefs. They, they just, they believe this to be true. Whatever it is, right? Whether you should have singing and worship, or whether uh, women can be ordained, or whether, or whether, or whether. You see, sometimes those beliefs, if they're not core to the gospel, if they're not um, essential in making disciples, we can get stuck on those and hold on to them and not want to let go for anything because they're safe. They're a good thing, but are they holding us back from a better thing? Sometimes I find church folk, um, they, they get caught up in belonging. They've sat in this pew. They worshiped in this sanctuary. We were on the corner of First and Main. And then, preacher, you moved us to a new location out on the loop. People get stuck where they are. And they think that a place 
It'll make all the difference. I, I gotta be honest with you, if I experienced Jesus in a particular place, I would not be uh, real ready to leave. But sometimes we hold on to a good thing that keeps a better thing from being able to happen. Sometimes it's about behavior. Uh, church folk get stuck on behavior. Well, I don't go to that church anymore because that preacher doesn't wear a robe. I don't go to that church because the preachers never stood in the pulpit for any long amount of time. I don't go to that church because they sing new songs or old songs or they don't use musicians or they do use instruments. Do you get it? Sometimes we hold on to a good thing, but it keeps us from enjoying a better thing. Have you ever held on to something? You see, if we hold on to Jesus, uh, and the, the, the theology here about ascension is that if Jesus doesn't ascend, then the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't come. You see, it's good to have Jesus, but Jesus is in one place, in one space, and one time, one dot on the big Google map, if you will. But if he ascends, then the Spirit of Christ, which is one good translation of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is given... Uh, to all of us, right? Uh, uh, the disciples were told to stay in Jerusalem until they were furnished with power from on high. I don't know if it's because I'm thinking about what furnishing's gonna go in the house, but I like that word, furnished with power. But see, if Jesus doesn't go, the Holy Spirit doesn't come. And for us to do that Matthew 28 great commission statement of go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. We can't do that if Jesus is just in one spot. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us all. It's an awakening that's required. It's an awakening that's required. What are you holding on to? What's that one thing that you're, you're holding on to? It's, it's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that thing. But boy, howdy, it has nailed your feet to the floor. It has wrapped a chain around you tied to an anchor. It has become the one thing that you won't let go of. I have to say, in uh, my time in ministry, I've had a number of opportunities to minister to people who were um, compulsive hoarders, right? Um, and, and what I uh, really, um, really um, found fascinating is that oftentimes a compulsive hoarder, it's nothing about cleanliness, it's nothing about organization, it's nothing about any of those things. Oftentimes the um, emotional and uh, mental health issue is they don't wanna let go of the thing because the thing represents something. Well, this was the last receipt that, um, uh, th this was the receipt from the last lunch that I had with my mom before she died. This is the last um, uh, bulletin from that preacher I really liked from 10 years ago before they left. This is the last, this is the last, I don't know what to do with it. Do you see that there might be a, a condition, uh, maybe something related to a spiritual hoarding, where we hold on to good things, but they keep us from being able to do a better thing. When is an ending a beginning? What a great question. I would say when an ending becomes a beginning, it's when we surrender. 
I mean, think about it, right? When, uh, Paul, when Saul encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, it was an ending of his work as a Pharisee. But because he surrendered to Jesus, it was the beginning of so many things. I mean, we have our own ideas, our own preconceptions of how this thing's supposed to work out, but we only truly plug into the power of a new beginning when we're willing to surrender, when we're willing to say, all right, not my will, but yours. All right, Jesus, instead of sitting in the back as we go on the car trip and you're passing out snacks, I don't just want you to sit in the passenger seat, but here, take the wheel, I'll surrender. I can't tell you how many times I've just prayed for folk in a church who, who've clearly come to an ending and cannot see beyond it to the new beginning. Whether it's trauma and difficulty in their life, or whether it's strategic planning and mission in the church as a whole, or whether it's something looming down the future that they're just terrified about. Those things that scare us can be remedied when we surrender. We surrender um, not just to the idea of an ending, but we surrender to the idea that this too could be a new beginning. Whatever you're holding on to, I want to encourage you um, to, to find a way to drop it. You'll find in the bulletin there's some extended learning. There's a to read, um, questions to ponder, and then things to do and to share. And in there, I've got a couple of things that might be uh, helpful for head and heart and for hands as you begin thinking about what does it mean to turn an ending into a new beginning. My prayer for you is that you'll not hold on to anything. Um, just to hold on to the mission and vision that God gives us clearly in Matthew 28, to make disciples, to go, to tell the whole world, because surely we have been changed by having an experience with Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.